Hey guys, I think you're going to be enchanted by this week's movie. Okay. Oh yeah? Yeah, yeah, you know, like, I think you'll find this film really to be enchanted. Didn't you just say that? Oh, like, like it's a great movie. You, yeah, yeah, but what I mean is that you will find yourself enchanted by the film. Like, I'm going to be infused with magical abilities? Yeah, what are you getting at here? Guys, we're watching Enchanted. Jesus Christ. Oh, right. I'm confused. <laughs> Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mogul. Here with my enchanting co-hosts. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a chipmunk from another realm who just wants to just wants to tell their story. That's reasonable. I'm Jack Olander, an earthly princess interested in going to this two-dimensional world. It does seem like an interesting place. It has great reception for phones somehow. That has to be investigated. Oh, we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. But hey, there's probably no way you could have figured this out yet. But this, mo- this movie, this movie that we watch and we'll be talking about is the film Enchanted. <laughs> it's a 2017 Disney film directed by it's Kevin. It's 2007. That's how people say it, too. 20-0-7! God damn it. Okay. <laughs> okay. This week, we watched the film Enchanted, a 2007 Disney movie directed by Kevin Lima and written by Bill Kelly. Enchanted stars Amy Adams, James Marsden, Patrick Dempsey, Timothy Small, and Susan Sarandon, as well as Rachel Covey, Idina Menzel, and it is narrated by Julie Andrews, kind of, sort of, like for about half a second or half a minute or so. But, you know, Mary Poppins is here, y'all. So that's the most important <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, we're Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> but before we get into our deep dive on the film, I think Chelsea's probably got a pre-written, well-planned and perfectly executed summary ready to go. Yeah, that's right. Here's your summary for Enchanted. I mean, look at all the notes you have on the film. Are you allowed <laughs> to put an S on the end of that word? Yeah, right? It's, uh, I wrote one word for the, the plot because I was just kind of flabbergasted. I didn't know what to write. And what word was that? Andalasia. The only word you need. <laughs> the fictional home of uh, Giselle, the main character of this movie, and probably not a state, according to Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. I I don't know. It was just something about this movie is like... Enchanted you? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's, it's enjoyable to watch, but it also kind of short-circuited my brain in a way, so <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, that's how I felt during Seventh Son, so. 
Well, we only use 10% of our brains, so that puts us down to 9%, I think. I'm just gonna, like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just. Everyone knows the other 90% is pure godhood. Oh, that's nice. Unattainable. Unless you can unlock it with science. But they don't talk about that in this movie. No, that's a different film. Yeah. We don't usually cover those types of movies. Maybe we'll watch Lucy someday, but you never know. Unlikely. <laughs> hey, it, maybe there's a sword in it we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> you find me a fantasy movie where they talk about using 10% of their brain and we'll talk. So, okay. I'm just, I'm going to try to make this happen here. Hell yeah. We have Giselle, a forest rat. Princess. Um, princess. Kind of. She's not actually a rat. This is not that type of Disney movie. No, she's a human. Uh, kind of. She's a cartoon character. And um, <laughs> Ed Prince Edward is also a cartoon character. And he's palling around with a troll. Uh, and his, I guess, steward or squire, mm -hmm. Nathaniel. And their uh, life companion, Pip. Well, wait, no, no, Pip is... Pip is Giselle's friend who's a chipmunk. Oh, yeah. Boy, this movie short-circuited my brain, too. <laughs> so, yeah, Giselle's best friend is Pip, a chipmunk. And then Edward has a stepmother named Queen Nerissa, and she's, like, totally obsessed with keeping her crown. She doesn't want Edward to find true love because then he'll get married and become king. I don't understand why he isn't king then, The they don't follow traditional European logic for uh, transfers of power. Transfers of power. Yeah, I was going to say, this movie is so ridiculous. Can you imagine somebody trying so hard to prevent somebody else from, like, transferring their power to that they would, like, just go through this crazy plot to try to invalidate a rightful change of authority. Like, this movie is really unbelievable for me, guys. I know. I, I, I don't think this would ever actually happen in real life. Yeah. Oh, wait. I know. What a crazy concept. I mean, in this time, November of 2020 like could you imagine something like that happening i know it blew my mind and i just like really took me out of the immersion because it was so incomprehensible that this would ever happen in reality <laughs> so she's uh Ner queen narissa is obsessed with this right and she gets nathaniel to kind of work for her and try to subvert edward and giselle because they they are singing, they meet up in the forest, they think they're each other's true love, and they're going to get married the next day. Well, this is basically how Chelsea and I met. <laughs> yeah, you swept me off my feet, literally. See, there you go. <laughs> Not with a broom. No, no. With your arms. Yes. So, uh, Queen Nerissa disguises herself as an old hag. And tricks Giselle into falling down a magical well, and she falls into the real world. Wait, now this is like a fantasy Middle Ages, right? She could have been like a young hag, and we just didn't, we can't tell. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but not a lot seems to really go wrong in their fantasy world, so. That's true. It's, yeah, they seem to have really good hygiene and and everything. Without so. having to try. It's like not a thing they have to worry about. I mean, it is a Disney realm. Yeah. So. Like, you know, the fantasy Disney, not the actual Disney. 
So Giselle ends Woof. up in New York. Um, Edward, Nathaniel, and Pip all come after her to try to save her. She's actually picked up eventually after wandering the streets for most of a night by a man named Robert and his daughter Morgan. A surprisingly thin-accented New Yorker. I'm walking here! Yeah, he has... <laughs> Where are you, some sort of princess? <laughs> the people that are supposed to be New Yorkers basically have no accent. I guess we um, could talk about the... Well, what about the... I was going to say, we could talk about the friendly uh, construction workers that were <laughs> very... Uh, Let's save that for the okay. next bit. Um, That's fine. Okay, so... Robert has a girlfriend named Nancy already, and they've been dating for five years. He has a problem with commitment because his wife uh, cut out on him and their daughter years beforehand. Brutal. So, Man, a Disney movie with an absentee mother? How unusual. Yeah. Giselle spends a few days with them while she's waiting for Edward to come and rescue her. And um, she ends up kind of changing their whole world around and changing their idea about what family is and love is. So this is kind of like a fish out of water movie about True love and finding yourself. She with the Kinda. fish? Is this Finding Nemo? Hanya. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, eventually Edward does find her at Robert's house. And there are many funny antics along the way about all of the characters from Andalasia kind of trying to understand New York and our reality. It's it's a it's very enjoyable and there's um some musical numbers along the way, uh. But after it follows in the tradition of earlier films like The Visitors slash Just Visiting, where you know somebody appears in our modern day or you know modern to the time and uh, basically traipses around New York or another major cosmopolitan city and they don't really fit in. Yeah, that's. Why I called it a fish out of water movie. Oh, also, like a uh, classic swords and satire favorite, The Night Before Christmas. Exactly. I was thinking of that one. So, once Edward and Gis Giselle are reunited. I thought you were going to say DiGiorno. <laughs> <laughs> Edward and DiGiorno. She realizes that she doesn't love him anymore. But they go on a date, a, a concept she learned from Robert. And um, she's also kind of like the born yesterday trope, but we can get into that later. Uh, she knows how things work they, in her world, at least. They have kind of a bland date. They all meet up at a ball later on. And boy, she, do they have a ball. <laughs> she, Giselle and Robert realize when they meet up again at the ball that they're in love with each other. There, um, Queen Nerissa comes through because Nathaniel has failed to kill Giselle the entire time, and so she wants <laughs> to get it done herself. She comes and gets Giselle to eat a poison apple. Uh, Robert ends up kissing her, and it's like true love's kiss, and it heals her. It's like the most powerful force, like in so many other Disney films. Like literally every one of them. It's Every movie in existence is about true love's kiss. You just don't realize it yet. Except Hercules. That's about fame. Yeah. So after Giselle is 
reinvigorated. Queen Nerissa turns herself into a dragon and kidnaps Robert. And so he's like the damsel in distress. Giselle realizes that she has to go and save him, so she doesn't hesitate. She runs, grabs a sword, and goes after the dragon. I'm proud of her. They go up on a really tall building. Was it the Empire State Building? Ah, you've been in New York. I've never been there. I think it was the Empire State Building. It was pointy. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I say I think it's that one. <laughs> so she fights Queen Nerissa in dragon form. Queen Nerissa's in dragon form. Yeah. Giselle is still in human form. That would be cool if they were both dragons. Oh, man. Rewriting <laughs> history. <laughs> there are some wacky physical physics moments. And then, basically, she bests Queen Nerissa, who falls to a glittery death. Uh, she Everything. explodes in a glitter bomb when she hits the ground. Everything in Andalasia is just covered in glitter. <laughs> it's like a craft party gone wild. It, it's, they breathe it. It's in the air. <laughs> that cannot be healthy. <laughs> Imagine trying to enjoy a glass of water. It just can't be done. <laughs> It's so sharp. So Giselle ends up staying in the real world with Robert and Nancy, upon seeing Edward and like what an actual snack he is, she uh, goes back to Andalasia with him and is going to introduce sex to that world. Oh, it's going to be fucking wild once she's had <laughs> her way around uh, Edward's bed chambers holy shit i know because before that there's a joke at the beginning of the movie that giselle sings that lips are the only things that touch <laughs> <laughs> so a wild premise for a movie uh, for a world that ostensibly has reproduction but i guess it's a stork based system maybe maybe it's a kiss <clears throat> true love's kiss you're pregnant one, <laughs> one equals another that sounds yeah. horrible isn't that um, what isn't that the premise of Alien? Perhaps I think yes. But also uh yeah, that, maybe it's just you will pregnancy into yourself if you have true love. That's, that's why the xenomorph queens have that extra mouth, even more kissing. Right. Oh god. <laughs> so uh that's about all you need to know before we uh get into the meat of it. Sounds good to me. Why don't we head into the Dell? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Enchanted. So guys, I think this movie has something to say, but I'm not quite sure what it is. Like, I feel like it's there, and I feel like it's a little bit all over the place. Yeah, I think that they were paying lip service to flipping classic tro gender tropes on their head, but that they actually fall short of truly doing that. Maybe, yeah. Like, there's a scene at the beginning where Robert gives his daughter, Morgan, a book of, like, great women in history, and she's really disappointed, which maybe that's understandable because she's, what? Six. I, I'm terrible. Okay. I was going to say five or six, but I'm usually really bad at identifying she children by age. She says that she's six. Okay, well, 
that's fine. <laughs> that doesn't mean I remember that. Okay. But that was like the most iconic line in the film. <laughs> so like, it does feel a little bit weird where she's like, oh, like history of women. But also she is sick. So it makes sense that she would much rather have like a book about princesses. Sure. And later on, Giselle is reading about like, is like reading the book, right? I don't and know. like takes inspiration from the stories that. of great women throughout history. I feel like the book came back at some point. Wow, I really don't remember that part. I could also be wrong. I think they never see it again. It must not have been very prominent. I guess <laughs> yeah. not. Well, fuck. There we go. Um, I was too distracted by all the dancing vermin that she calls into the house in New York. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty great. We can talk about that. That's fun. But uh, first, before we do, uh, we should keep talking about this theme that you brought up. So their ideas of gender roles are all tied up within this theme of true love that is the overarching kind of surface level theme of the movie, the, the overt messaging. True uh, love is between a princess and a divorce lawyer, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, initially they kind of are communicating the traditional trope in a lot of film, especially Disney films, where there's two people that are kind of fated to be together to have true love and... Like, they're going to find each other someday, and it's, like, the most powerful force. I mean, I don't totally disagree, but at the same time, I I think it sets up unrealistic expectations for children for, uh, in, in terms of previous, uh, the, the trope itself. Sure. Um, for, like, all the other Disney movies that are actually for kids. <laughs> I mean, I think this movie was for kids. Maybe. It's hard to say. There's a lot of adult themes in it. I don't know what the age demographic for this was. It's all over the place. Tween? Question mark? Maybe. I guess, like, if the main child character is six, though, wouldn't that be the age demographic they were shooting for? In which case, I think a lot of this would probably be too... I don't know what the word is, like, too talky, not enough singy. There's only, like, four songs in the whole movie, three or four songs. Yeah, I think it was probably aimed at the parents of children who want to see Disney movies. Like, people who grew up with Disney movies, and then they can watch it with their kids, but they're going to enjoy it more as much or just like parents who always have to take their kids to go see Disney movies when they come out. They're like, your kids will want to see this because it's Disney, but this one is for you, parents. Maybe. Have a good old time. Well, yeah, because you have to have a pretty good understanding of, like, social dynamics and the way society kind of has expectations on relationships and the way life paths are expected to unfold. And when I was nine, yeah, when I was nine, I didn't really get any of the more minute details of the film. I was just, you know, singing along with it and just kind of thinking it was funny that a princess was in 
New York. Yeah, I mean, older audiences, the jokes are going to land better on them. But, you know, there's also that whole thing, like, in the 80s and 90s, when writers would just put in jokes about, like, 1950s television programs and stuff in kids' movies. And you're like, who are these jokes fucking for? Like, it was so common for movies in in those times, like the 80s and 90s, to make references to, like, I love Lucy. So yeah, to shows like I Love Lucy or like Dick Van Dyke and stuff. It's like, wait, what? Who is? Who are these jokes for? Well, the parents. Yeah, a but, lot of them are actually not children's films; they're family films. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes right. they were kids' movies and and stuff like that. Or like you know, Mary Melodies did did this stuff a lot. Yeah, but we're kind of getting off topic a bit. Yeah, we've so, never done that before. We better, <laughs> we better correct course or we're going to start losing listeners. Oh, boy. Uh, So the way they treat true love, it's almost like there's a chosen one out there for each person. And that you won't be happy unless you're with them. <laughs> and that being with a man is all a girl should long for. Basically, it comes out in this song Giselle is singing this message, and that she, through what she says, all her wishes are coming true today when she's getting married. It's like that's all a girl should long for, basically. And I so, mean, maybe this is an indictment of the culture of those films where I that was know. kind of all they long for, but if that is the case, then the ending of the movie where she and Robert just end up together kind of sends a mixed message. Well, that's what I've been building toward. That's what I was trying to build up to. You're welcome. And and you kind of like shot the wad early. <laughs> no comment. Uh, But they kind of seem to subvert this message when she goes to New York. Uh, and when she and Robert start to fall for each other, it kind of brings the whole idea of those classic true love tropes into question for a time. And it kind of seems like they're about to make this film an indictment of <clears throat> those classic tropes and kind of try to change the messaging of love. Yeah, I don't think Disney's in the business of indicting their old movies since all they're doing now is remaking them. I think I might have an idea on a way that it works, right? They're from another universe, okay? It's two-dimensional, so we know it doesn't function the same way as ours. It has its own set of laws, universal physics and laws, right? Yeah. That carry over to Earth. Sometimes. When the queen came over here... She could still use magic to transform herself, still had poison apples, and could conjure her images through liquid, right? And so, Giselle still has her druidic ability to talk to and, I guess, not control, but compel animals to do things for her without any uh, promise of recompense. Yes, and that also extends to humans as animals, provided they are not 
so stubbornly stuck in their own world. If they are malleable to the situation, she can control them through song or compel them to participate. Yes, that's right. She can create uh, massive dance number outbreaks in the middle of, to- of uh, Central Park. Yes. But the way this relates to True Love's Kiss, right? What if True Love's Kiss is a law of the reality in their world? A magical guarantee right the same way on earth you drop something it'll fall like gravity true love is a force of nature in their world right that does seem to be a belief they hold and it does almost seem to be like a a magical force in the world that they come from but it's still a message of the film itself definitely you know what i'm saying i'm lightsabering it yeah (laughs) that's what we do here Oh, yes. Wait, how is she a princess also? She lives in a tree in the woods. I think she is. They refer to her as a princess. The little girl Morgan calls her a princess because she was wearing a gown when they saw her. Yeah, and Morgan is the the heartbeat of this film. (laughs) She's not actually a princess where she comes from. Morgan thinks she's a princess. Also, I have to say, if, if it's true that this movie is like following a soulmate narrative... That is a fucked up uh, cosmic fate to put your soulmate in a completely different multiverse than your own or universe. Like, That's a universe good point. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> like, if I, I'm not sure if that's the idea of the movie or not, but Giselle and Robert are from two, like, it's not the your usual, like, two different worlds love story. This is a literal two different stories love story. Okay. T- two different worlds. I remember what I was going to say. So. Yes, thank you for saying that because You're welcome. I I wanted to go back to what I was saying before where the film seems to be going back on these classic tropes when she and Robert start falling for each other, it seems to break this idea that you're fate bound to one person in particular. She fell in love with Edward uh, on si- at first sight, but then over time because she Because that was the expectation that it's been set up for. Sure. But then she and Robert grew to like each other over time. And Which they developed story? feelings for each other through shared experiences and that type of thing. Uh, and so it seems like it's trying to turn that on its head, this idea that you're fated for one person in particular. But then there's also other messaging in the film, like it promotes having one partner for life. Unrealistic. He's a divorce lawyer. (laughs) Who even does that? (laughs) Wait. Yeah. Uh yeah, we're we're uh we're probably mated for life, but (laughs) (laughs) we're also the exceptions that prove the rule. Yeah. But Robert has had, you know, obviously a private prior relationship because he has a baby who was brought by the stork, and we (laughs) all know that the stork only delivers babies to happy couples. Well, he's a divorce lawyer and through Gis- uh, Giselle's reactions to people getting divorced, which are funny at the time, but when you think back on it, it, it no, it's it, horrifying. It, it paints divorce as like this terrible tragedy, but like divorce usually happens for a fucking reason. <laughs> it literally causes Giselle to break down in tears and create a huge scene at Robert's law firm. Yeah, like the people are going to be separated forever. It's like 
sometimes people grow apart or there are like toxic situations people get into and they need to like stop being together and divorce rarely happens because like people are separated a, a, like beyond their will <laughs> like, i mean these these two were fighting over a baseball card like i don't think this is a good relationship yeah and then at like jack was kind of reminding me before when giselle and robert get to the ball and he she's um been poisoned and he kisses her to bring her back it kind of reaffirms this idea of true love again but maybe they had built it up over their time that they spent together maybe but then when she wakes up she says to him i knew you were the one yeah that's not great and so it goes back to this idea of a chosen one and then that brings up what you said how it's fucked up like okay if in this world they're creating in this movie if there really are multiverse soulmates like chosen ones that you're fated to love it's so fucked up that her chosen one was in a different reality yeah and but, then it really makes you wonder like because this is a disney movie who's thanos's true love oh my god <laughs> Holy is it shit. Thanos from another universe or it's time stream? All connected. <laughs> I think Thanos is Thanos' own true love. Yeah. He 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 jacks off when he's looking in the mirror, I think. <laughs> That's a horrifying image. Now you're welcome. Now you can have that forever. He uses the <laughs> infinity gauntlet, doesn't he? He has to. Of course. It's so powerful. You surprised me. I didn't expect you to say that. Why not? Oh my god. You know that if we've thought of it, there's porn out there about this. Of course there is. <laughs> the reality stone makes it feel like someone else is doing it. I'm just saying. So, it's like we were saying in the beginning... The time stone is a, is a tantric aid. <laughs> I don't want to get into the space stone. Oh, That's just weird. The power stone for firm grip. <laughs> Unbreakable grip. Oh, this is haunting. And the soul stone. <laughs> the soul stone, I think, is the most cursed. That's the one that makes it feel like somebody else. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, doesn't that have his daughter in there? Like that's Oh come on. Up. Oh, now you made it weird. Well, he's <laughs> the villain, of course. <laughs> Though I guess the villain part is debatable, depending on who you ask. I just extended the logic you guys were using and pointed out to you what it meant. <laughs> See what happens when you try to apply logic to our ideas? <laughs> um so yeah, this movie like doesn't actually it that's why i said it pays lip service to turning these tr classic tropes on their head because it doesn't actually follow through with it in the end going back to that yeah <laughs> no that's fair but jack was making a point that maybe this is really just a actual force from the world of andalasia and that it has a different meaning than 
the kind of like meta theme. Yeah, definitely. I think a huge part of the movie, while the entire point of the film is to show that she's from another world and she makes our world like hers. And it's kind of a two-way street because she starts liking the ways of Earth and that's why she decides to stay. Spoilers. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of just to show that, like, strong love exists. Yeah. Like, mutual two-way love exists is kind of what the whole point of it is. And also... Like, community between all people, I think, is another theme that she brings. Like, when she's singing, between all living things. Right. Like, she interacts positively with every animal she sees. She treats it like a person. Because in her world, they're as intelligent as humans and can talk. Yeah, they're sentient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so she treats them the same way in our world, which is how a lot of people these days are starting to do things. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bright sidey, but at the same time, I think she's not doing that. I think she's seriously just accepting the animals here for who they are or how they look. And she's not yeah, exactly. she's not judging them. Mm -hmm. She also and... has staggering charisma. Everybody she meets seems <laughs> to like want to listen to her and like takes her seriously for the most part. I mean, Robert's hesitant about the idea about her being a princess or whatever but he straight up like lets her into his house lets her sleep there like basically does, says he's gonna do anything he can to help her out like just sight unseen for the most part it's it's wild yeah mm -hmm. it has to do i think with her state of being however because when she first comes to New York, she's frazzled and frantic, and everyone wants to get away from her. They're kind of treating her like a crazy person, right? Yes. Which, uh, that is an unfortunate reaction to someone in need of help. It could have been a scathing indictment of how we treat neurodiverse people, but it's not. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was a reference to John Carpenter's Halloween. But, <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, when she's frantic, discombobulated, people take advantage of her and are upset by her. But yeah. when she comes back into being more of a typical bubbly, joyous Disney princess, she lifts the mood of everyone around her as well. Like in the song, That's How You Know, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's how you know that you love her, right? God that damn it, that song is catchy. It really it's is. It's because they have a Calypso beat. How <laughs> yeah. can it not be? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I also just want to say real quick, it's really funny when the like the band starts playing with her and singing along and they're making up new lyrics. And he's like, I don't know this song. I've never heard it before. Robert is saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do all these people know the song? I was going to yeah. talk about this. Why does the magic of humans work in this world? Animals are bound by the laws of, I guess, vocal cord differences. Like, Pip can't speak in our reality, but does speak in Andalasia. Yeah. Why? Magic. 
because magic seems to work. So I guess it's because animals aren't speaking in Andalasia or is not a magical power. It's just a reality there. Yeah, it's a, it's so. a like. But then saying... his biology changes when he arrives on Earth. I guess everyone's biology changes when they arrive on Earth, though. Well, yeah, but it's it's like Jack was saying before. It's about the different laws they have in their world, laws of reality. But the but they bring the laws of magic to our world. It could be hooked to two dimensionality. Oh, explain. Well. The two-dimensional animals can talk, the three-dimensional animals can't, but the three-dimensional animals can stay intelligent. That's just an observation. Oh, that We is can't really so... test it, as it only happens once in the film. That's a mindfuck right there. I mean, yes. a lot of this movie's a mindfuck. <laughs> yes, it's true. Yeah, just in that song, uh, that's how you know. Yeah. Right? Everyone is very happy to participate in her performance then. Yeah. They're swept up in the magic because she's in a better state of mind. That was just kind of the theme of community, I think, that she carried over from her world because there's the themes right. of Earth and the themes of Disney that they're trying to showcase. Right. The themes of Earth are you're kind of an individual, life is gray, there are complicated situations around things like love, divorce happens things like that there's work there's dating before you decide to hitch up with somebody before you first then, kiss someone exactly and then the themes of her world are like yeah just fall in love and go for it baby right if you want to have a positive relationship with others just start interacting with them right <laughs> Like in that song, that's how you know. She started singing, and she started singing with other people, and they want, you know, it formed an entire community. She was matchmaking during the song as she was coming up to different people in the park, too. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, her I she channels her ideals like a paladin. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of like a bard. Too. And a druid. Yeah. See, there's this... I, you reminded me, Jack, there's this line that I really like at the beginning when Nerissa is pushing Giselle into the magical well of horrible transformation to <laughs> or transportation to the mortal world. I want to talk about that in a minute. But she says that she's going to send Giselle to a place with no happily ever afters. Oh, so like dab right. on earth, right? Like, yeah, I forgot about that. By the way, this place sucks. <laughs> but how does Narissa know about our reality? And why is there a portal in a well inside the castle that leads to a New York sewer system? Oh, this is the rewriting history moment because you're giving me an idea we have to do a rewriting history where there are portals to different realities in My the God. Disney universe. But it wasn't like... I mean, isn't that just Kingdom Hearts? Princess into the princess verse. Oh, man. Oh, God. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's head to the bounty board. You awaken warm and snugly in your hollow tree, leaves under your head for a soft pillow, the cool grass feeling comfortable beneath your back. As you rise and stretch the sleep from your limbs, 
small flowers begin to blossom on the ground and to form letters. They read bounties. This week, Swords and Satire is sponsored in part by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Now, I gotta tell you, Audible isn't just some company we know nothing about who wants us to show their products. Nope. All three of the satirists have been using Audible since before we even started Swords and Satire. At this point, I've got a pretty impressive collection of audiobooks that I love, and I'm always looking forward to getting my monthly Audible credits because I know I'm going to get something new to enjoy while I'm driving, working around the house, or just staring into the void waiting for Krom to call me to his great mountain. And if you head over to audible.com slash swords and begin your free 30-day trial, you can help fund this show and start your own audiobook collection, which might even eventually rival the stores of knowledge from the Great Library of Alexandria. Sorry, too soon? And if you want a suggestion for a series to start your Audible collection with, might I suggest The Iron Druid Chronicles by Kevin Hearn? All three of the satirists love these audiobooks. They're about a millennia-old druid named Atticus O'Sullivan who lives in Tempe, Arizona, and goes around solving people's problems, gardening, fighting gods and demons, and basically doing all kinds of other stuff that you would think that a modern-day druid would do. These are really entertaining fantasy books with some interesting world-building, great lore, really lovable characters, and, spoilers, eventually there's a talking dog. So, I mean... I mean, he's not really a talking dog. He can just talk to Atticus because, you know, he's a druid. And, well, you know, why don't you go on over to Audible right now and uh, check out the Iron Druid Chronicles? That's what we suggest. Are you convinced yet? I know you are. So head over to audibletrial.com slash swords right now to start your free 30-day trial. Get a credit for a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you cancel your membership. Not that you're going to want to. You'll also get an exclusive wellness guide and an email reminder before your trial ends. And after that, it's just $14.95 a month, and you get a credit for an audiobook every month. When you sign up for your free trial, you also help us keep the torches lit at Castle Satire. So once again, that's audibletrial.com slash swords. And now, back to the episode. Oh, man, those are some great ads. <laughs> oh, my whimsy, what an ad. Something I do want to talk about is that there are, like, I, I, again, I think this movie is shaky on its themes, but one of the aspects I really like is Nathaniel and Nerissa's relationship, mm-hmm. where Nathaniel is trying to do everything he can to please the evil queen, but is hesitant about anything that is going to be harmful towards Giselle. Like he knows it's wrong. He's questioning it, but he he feels like he's doing what's right. But in the end, he learns to stand up for himself and to not take Nerissa's shit. Yeah. And is kind of empowered through his unwillingness to continue this course of evil that he's been set out on. And he was kind of locked into in the reality in Andalasia. 
like in a lot of ways, Nathaniel's the only character who grows in this movie. Maybe a little bit, uh, Robert, but Nathaniel has the best arc. Yeah, he really does. Robert kind of learns to like let loose a little bit and believe in love again. That's fine. But Nathaniel goes through like a full on relationship crisis and comes out the other end a better, healthier person. Yeah. yeah. Giselle doesn't really have an arc. She just. She doesn't really need one as far of, as the story is concerned. She just kind of learns to accept love where she can find it in a way and then tries to make this reality as much like her own as possible. She's a reality yeah. shaper. <laughs> oh my, god. my god. She's more powerful than we knew. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't complain if a uh, you know, magical woman came into our world and like made people nicer. That doesn't sound so bad. I'll yeah. take it. Yeah, I think the definite theme of the movie is she has an innocent sort of wisdom that our world is lacking and needed to be reminded of or yeah. further represented or to see for the first time ever yeah i just remembered this moment <laughs> i was thinking about this movie and like when she just starts breaking into song and then people join her and stuff and I was thinking mm. about this real life moment where something kind of similar happened to Jamie and I on BART. <laughs> Bay Area yeah. Rapid Transit. <laughs> yeah. There were these people that suddenly got up and turned on music really loud. And at first we were like, oh, God, they're just like kind of invading our sound space. And then we look at over at them and then they start doing all these cool crazy dance moves and they're dancing to the music and they're doing this whole performance on the BART train and like people that were just like sitting with other people in the train actually are part of it and they all get up and start dancing and, and they were doing all these cool moves together I mean, and it was, stuff. It was like a very small flash mob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it it was pretty cool and I, you know. It was awesome, yeah. It was not what I thought was happening at first. And, like, I enjoyed it. Some people were just ignoring them, but we were just watching, like, oh, yay. Oh, yeah. I, I love performance. <laughs> so that was awesome. Yeah, we we, we enjoyed it. And we, we, like, clapped and, like, thanked them and stuff. <laughs> and then they just kind of took it and got off on an exit. Yeah. <laughs> it took their boombox or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I thought I got a kick out of it. So if, if I had somebody come in, like a magical person come in and start singing around me, I might sing with them. You never know. So because the words will just come to you, <laughs> whatever you say will be what you're supposed to, as long as you're going with the princess. But right? this, this raises an interesting question. Yeah. How does Robert resist the compulsion to engage in spontaneous song and dance. Is it because he needs to learn something from the dance? So Giselle is not casting the spell on him, just on the other people around her to be illustrative of her point. Maybe, but he is compelled to follow her. He follows her the whole time and is responding to things she says. So he's kind of a part of it. I mean, they're friends. So it makes sense. Like if your friend broke out in the song and dance, like hopefully you wouldn't just ditch him. <laughs> Yeah, but um, at the end of 
her song though everybody's got their arms out in the sky and is doing like jazz hands and he like stands fu- up finally and does mini jazz hands next to his face <laughs> okay so the magic is working on him he, he just, just has to get through all these layers of ennui that have been coating his aura for years but that's my point like he cannot be the most jaded man in new york <laughs> they, like a lot they, of those other people are probably like pretty cynical but they still get down yeah yes i think it's that he is stubbornly in his own reality right he he knows how the world works and it doesn't work like that and it's only until there's overwhelming evidence of a parade that she has started (laughs) that he's like all right maybe i can get with this a little bit right (laughs) yeah and he's like how how will we deliver this that there's no address and she just tells the doves to take uh in in part of the song she has these doves take a wreath to robert's girlfriend nancy when they're still together and she just tells the doves to take the wreath to nancy and through her magic they know where to go and robert was referring to that he's like how do it's not gonna get to her they don't they're how is this they don't have an address or anything yeah and also they're doves yeah but they do get there, and he he sees that Nancy has gotten the flowers later on, and so it's like this slowly wears down his defenses, his mental defenses. Now, I, I'm glad you mentioned that part, because it raises a question that I want to ask you guys, and don't take it the wrong way. Would this movie have been better without Nancy? And I say this meaning, like, Would this movie have been better if it was not about, to some degree, Robert cheating emotionally? It creates this kind of, like, guilty scenario, you know, when they're going after one another. And it is kind of awkward at the end when they've been together for five years. She thinks they're going to move in together and get married. And then when they're at the ball and he's, like, hesitating to kiss Giselle, Nancy's just like, Robert, just do it. And it's like, Like what? what the fuck? She would not fucking say that. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like they just probably included her to have a foil for, or not even a foil, but like a match for Edward or yeah, something. I don't but know. I almost feel like, I mean, I don't want to take Edward out. Edward is one of the best parts of the movie. We'll talk about him in a minute. But like some of the relational dynamics get a little sticky. Yeah. I think that's also one of the themes around true love that they're trying to show. Robert and Giselle both think that they are going to marry their true loves or like people that they love. And then they find out that's not the case, that what they thought was love wasn't actually like as good as it gets. Sure. Right. They were just kind of settling well, Giselle was settling for the first guy she found. Literally the first man she ever saw. Well, she had a yes. dream about him. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he was the one from her dream. But yes. it, she could have just been dreaming that they just like hung out and then kissed. She didn't have to didn't have to mean, <laughs> I mean they were going to get married. The, apparently that is exactly what she imagined. <laughs> yep. And uh Robert was settling for like the first woman he's been with since his separation it seems like yeah i mean nancy seems pretty cool yeah she does she's a they, but they're not very compatible 
I don't know what. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Their chemistry wasn't great. She's in an artistic field. It showed her at work. She had she was at some kind of like artist table or something, a designer table. Or sure, something was she like a that. seamstress or something? Oh, maybe a seamstress. Yeah, but because Giselle takes over her business. Wait, what? At the end, Giselle has a fabric and clothing shop because she cuts clothing out of the curtains for throughout the entire yeah, film. Yeah, but what do you mean she takes over Nancy's business? Na- that was Nancy's business. I did not catch that, but. Now that I think back on it, I think you're right because there were these. So Giselle just stole everything from Nancy. Yeah. But I guess Nancy's happier anyway, so. Including her license and passport and social. I mean, honestly, that might be the way to go is just to take over Nancy's identity at that point because. That's sinister. That's very sinister. But I mean, what if Giselle. Giselle's got no paper trail. Like, she can't own a business. She can't, like, get a license to, like, conduct business legally and everything without a lot of identification and stuff. It would be a messy transition unless she just uses her charm and magic to just be like actually i don't need any of that stuff yeah like oh okay i think people in the you know she'll sing SBA, in <laughs> yeah people at the sba are yes. just like oh whatever sure here you go here's a million dollar loan she'll sing about how, like how like good of a person they are for giving it to her and then they do it <laughs> thank god giselle is like genuinely a good person because the magic she wields could be devastating well, she's also an innocent, and so, like, she could do harm accidentally. I mean, she does in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she destroys em- Robert's relationship. <laughs> and she causes Nancy emotional pain. That was destiny, and good for him. <laughs> and she kills that poor dragon, too. Yeah. Who was just doing what dragons do best, kidnapping someone. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I also want to talk a little bit about Edward before we move on, because James Marsden is a national treasure, and Edward is pretty hilarious. Uh, I like that we kind of, while we get this deconstruction of the Disney princess, we also get the deconstruction of the entitled Disney prince, who is so self-absorbed that he can't possibly comprehend a world where he is not the center of all things. I know. So when Pip is trying to communicate with him for much of the movie to let him know that he can't trust Nathaniel and that Giselle is in trouble, he just keeps interpreting all of the pantomiming that Pip is doing to be something about himself. Yeah. I mean, if anything, Edward is the most ineffectual character in the entire movie. Yes. He doesn't accomplish anything. I mean, he gets a relationship with Nancy, which is, you know, that's nice, but that's not through any real action of his own other than just kind of being himself. Yeah. But I mean, if she's going to like him, hopefully she'd like him for himself. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I'm just saying he doesn't do anything other than harass a poor bus driver. Yeah. It's true. Well, if it weren't for Giselle kind of turning this movie on its head, he would have gone... And probably saved her from the dragon and taken her back to Andalasia. So he would have been the thing that saves the day. But Giselle manages to do it herself. So he becomes kind of irrelevant. Or maybe Giselle would have saved Edward from the dragon because Edward's not actually that good at anything. 
Uh, he's good at stopping big monsters. Yeah. Is he? Yeah, he does that with the troll. No, Pip beats the troll. No. Yeah, they're, I mean, it, they're hanging from the tree. Edward. Oh, that was after. Yeah. He still ties it up. That was after Nathaniel let the troll free. The first time Edward captured the troll and yeah. he tied it up. I mean, he hadn't really accomplished much yet. No. <laughs> and there's, it's not really clear why they're harassing that poor troll. I know. The troll seems so nice. And then suddenly he's like, oh, I got to go kidnap a princess. It's like, dude, like you're a friendly guy. You don't have to fall into these toxic stereotypes. I know. He's just drawn that way, though. <laughs> drawn. <laughs> Do you guys have anything else you want to cover before we move on? I really feel like I want to just gestate in this idea of them bringing magic into this world a little bit more. Because... That is such a fucking trip when you think about it. Like, she is just made of magic. She doesn't yep. cast any spells. It's just that she has some kind of magical effect on people and animals when she starts singing. Oh, gee, like a bard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it works even in this reality when other things from their world don't. And that... It's fucking wild. <laughs> it's really insane. And it, everyone uses their magic so overtly. And yeah. it's so strong. <laughs> yeah, I it's know. not subtle spells at all. It's just like so in your face. She could get people and animals to do whatever she wants. So it's like Jamie said, it's a good thing she's a good person at heart because <laughs> What if like what if the sequel is that Giselle gets jaded by New York. Oh god, that would be the worst thing. <laughs> and becomes a tyrant. Holy shit. And at the same time, New York becomes whimsical because of her and society <laughs> is just collapsing around her regime. Oh god. <laughs> As people are just lazily enjoying their days while she's taking over. Oh, so she becomes like the evil stepmother of Morgan and when Morgan is grown up, she has to defeat the evil oh my Queen god. Giselle. She makes Morgan's nightmare come true. Yeah. And then Andalasia becomes an erotic fantasy land. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to Nancy. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. I like Giselle as a character. I don't necessarily want to see this happen, but also I need to see this happen. I think it would be really funny if Giselle wrote that as a book and Robert was just like, Giselle, what is this? Oh, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. That brings up the last point I want to talk about before we move on. There's also a narrative implied in this movie by Giselle that oh, maybe yeah. the fairy tales that we know from our world are misinterpretations or intentional rewritings of actual events. Giselle tells Morgan about how the big bad wolf, the quote unquote big bad wolf, is actually the victim of the Red Riding Hood story because Red tells that story a little bit differently. Do you know what this means, though? It's a folk tale in our world, but she fucking knows Red Riding Hood in, in her world. 
Yes, exactly. So that and means... Red Riding Hood of the monster. But so how did we get the story? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Jamie, this through means... Through the poop hole. Yeah, this means that other characters have come through in the past to tell their stories. Oh, man. Jack B. Nimble, Little Red Riding Hood, the old woman in the shoe. What's the real story? I ask you, what is the real story? <laughs> I don't know. Where I don't know, but Jack do be looking kind of thick. <laughs> I think we're going to need to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. All right. But you that might bottom after I called Jack thick. <laughs> yeah. On that note, uh, why don't we go into evil, stupid, or misunderstood? This is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood, the part of the show where we take a look at the primary antagonist of the film and determine if they were stupid, or maybe they were evil, or possibly just misunderstood. All right, guys, Queen Nerissa, a classic evil queen. Stepmother. Stepmother. But how does she measure up to other iconic villains? We watched Maleficent not that long ago, which is kind of a send-up of this trope. Yeah, she is kind of like a version of Maleficent. She turns into a dragon and all that. But she ain't no Maleficent. No, she just... Yeah, she's also not Maleficent at the same time. She's also kind of like the evil stepmother from Snow White, too, in a way. With the poison apples and already being a queen. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Being human, not a fairy. <laughs> But she turns into a dragon, like, uh... So she's kind does. of a mishmash. Yeah. Yeah, she's like the representation of all evil stepmothers. Even though Giselle in the film stands up for stepmothers when talking to Morgan, she's like, you know, they're really not all bad. There are plenty of nice ones. I mean, yeah. that's a very fair point. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised Giselle was the one dropping that knowledge. On someone from Earth. I know. She seems to not have parents. I know. I was thinking that, too. She just lives by herself. Or, well, no. She lives with all the forest animals in her cottage in the forest. But Also, presumably Edward's father is the king of Andalasia? But where's he? He's dead. dead. I guess, yeah. He's with Morgan's mom. <laughs> and so why Somewhere. does... And then why does the... <laughs> oh my god, that would be, holy shit, that would be amazing. Uh, but then why uh, hasn't the royal power passed to Edward yet? I mean, why, that's why, why is Nerissa even yeah. tripping? Yeah, that's why I was saying earlier that they don't follow like traditional real world transfers of power in the summary. Because once his father died and he... If, maybe if he was too, he, he wasn't of age, she might have been named like the steward until of the kingdom until he came to be 18 and would take over the throne himself. But he so. wouldn't have to get married to become the king. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fascinating matrimonial system of transfers of power. I know it's kind of strange. 
But it is Andalasia, so... I was going to say, I would say that we're overthinking this, but this is swords and satire. <laughs> that's what, so and that's our whole show. Don't take this from us. I know. Yes. It, Maybe it, you need the wisdom of true love to assume your monarchhood. Does that uh -oh. mean that uh, Nerissa once had true love? Potentially. Did she become evil when her beloved husband died? What if they had this great relationship and she was actually like shattered by, you know, losing yeah. a loved one and that's what caused her to kind of spiral? Holy shit. That'd be nice. I figured she was just like a gold digger. <laughs> just grabbing for power, marrying that, the king. That's certainly how she <laughs> seems when the movie is has the spotlight on her <laughs> i mean this movie also poses the point that the version of stories we get are not always being told by the right person what if giselle is spinning this tale oh, using her magic oh yeah dude if, i'm it's just saying true. if she sings it i'm buying it you know what i'm saying <laughs> you gotta i don't think we would have a choice <laughs> Narissa's like, please, I, my heart is broken. I'm trying the best I can. I don't know how to be a monarch. And Giselle's like, fuck that evil queen, that bitch. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> you said it, Giselle. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of painted as being evil in the movie. The, very one-dimensional. Narissa, yeah, very one-dimensional, but... She doesn't, she's also kind of ineffectual. Like, the things that she does to try to thwart Edward never work. Even when she tries to overtly harm Giselle herself, that doesn't even work. She, she wants to lie to the people that she leads. I mean, I don't even get the sense that she is doing much as a queen. I mean, she's in charge. Yeah, but what does that even mean? <laughs> Where's I, I the feel kingdom? Like they did the movie a disservice by not having a more fleshed out character. But I mean, I guess this was 2007. We hadn't had Maleficent yet. We hadn't had this kind of renaissance of these characters and going into backstories more. But this movie is kind of a takedown of tropes in some ways but like i mean i guess we've also come to the conclusion that it is also not that so yeah you know if they really wanted to do like a kind of flip-flop turning things on their head they could have had edward and nancy go back to take over the kingdom and queen narissa could have just stayed as like a ceo executive in new york like a wall street executive <laughs> oh god oh I mean, unfortunately, it seems like the right Politics. qualifications of being an evil queen to moving into a corporate CEO. Yeah. It, it fits it, perfectly. It, it would fit. <laughs> so the character is kind of dumb just because she's written in a really one-dimensional way. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. have much of a plan. She doesn't want... Like, she's a powerful spellcaster. Why is she sending Nathaniel to do this shit for her? Yeah. And then she's like, I guess I have to do this for myself. It's like, yeah, why don't you just start with that? You can shoot flames. You turn into a fucking dragon. Yeah. Why I did you she wait? wanted an alibi. Why don't you lead with the dragon? <laughs> what Jack said. Yeah. I think she wanted an alibi. Because she didn't want Edward to get involved and actually find her. She wanted... uh. 
She wanted Giselle to be killed off before Edward could get to her. She wanted plausible so she deniability. I mean, did Edward know yeah. that she could transform into a dragon? Why not just show up at the dragon and fucking do your thing and be like, oh no, a dragon ate poor Giselle? Yeah, it doesn't <sighs> seem like Edward did know that. Yeah. Like, he's not very bright. Like, he would never put the pieces together. No. Yeah, you're no. right. Unfor I hate to say it. Unfortunately, I think Nerissa's pretty stupid. Yeah, I think she's bad planning. I think she's like stupid evil. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, clearly evil. Unfortunately, yeah. disappointingly, I don't think she's misunderstood. No. Nah, stupid evil. Her morality is a uh, bed of sand. <laughs> you know, when the villain is pure evil, it feels a lot nicer when the hero kicks their ass or turns them into glitter. Yeah, shove them off of a building and turns them in the glitter. Yes. All right, well, I, I think that pretty much covers it, guys. Why don't we head over to the smithy? Welcome to Ye Old Smithy where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, why don't you tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating between one and ten swords. All right, my epic moment is when Giselle is using her singing magic for one of the first times on Earth, and... She's calling out the window for animal friends to come help her clean up Robert's apartment. And she's doing the whole, almost like cattle call, but for forest, typically for her, for forest creatures, it's like, ah, 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 ah. Giselle, like is that, that you? That was perfect. <laughs> that was exactly right. And then it's like echoing through all the streets and all of the animals that are looking up are rats cockroaches pigeons and flies and then they all show up and she like hides, lets them in lets them in hides a slightly disgusted <laughs> look as one rat is like biting fleas on its back <laughs> next to her and she's just like it's always nice to make new friends <laughs> and she just Yay. like refuses to judge them that's nice <laughs> and so i i really like that part this is a really fun movie to watch it's it's really funny i like fish out of water movies i i think it they're fun to watch you get to see something about our world or our western culture from a different point of view and that's always interesting to get to see and then it usually ends up meaning that the person that doesn't fit in ends up changing something about our world or at least a small corner of it. I um, think we learned something today. Yeah. And I I like to see how they end up changing the reality for certain characters too. I think that's cool. It's so enjoyable to watch this movie and and laugh along with all of the jokes and like get swept up in the cheesy songs. I uh, would hate to give it a bad, uh, like a bad rating. There are there of... are no bad ratings, just honest ratings. <laughs> yeah, 
the mixed messages did leave me a little bit disappointed when I was watching it for our show with new eyes. So I think I'm going to give it a a 7 out of 10 swords. It's it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend people watch it. But it just, since I was watching it with the new lens, it did leave me kind of disappointed. That's a solid that score. Mm-hmm. Jack, how about your epic moment or feature and your rating from 1 to 10 swords? My epic moment from the movie is Nathaniel, right? He He's is in an love epic with moment. The queen. Yes, yes. He's in love with the queen. And through his time in New York and exposure to our world's media, he starts doubting whether or not she feels the same way about him. On the television, there's a soap opera, and he hears a woman say, how can I love you if you don't even love yourself? He, that really affects him deeply. Yeah. He's like, oh, maybe maybe I don't love myself. And then later <laughs> on, he's in a disguise in a taxi cab, and he's on call with a radio announcer. Yeah. He's like, I, I'm just not sure what our relationship actually is. You know, I'm not so sure that she feels the same way about me that I do about her. And the radio announcer is like, look, just be upfront with her. Go up and say, tell me what you really think. And then Queen Nerissa shows up right then and says, hey, they're worthless. Yeah. <laughs> we got work to do. Yeah. yeah, that one hurts. And I was, that was so <laughs> devastating. I know. Yeah. It's super cruel. That scene was very funny. But Nathaniel eventually stands up to her with a sword, too, nonetheless. So, pretty cool. Nathaniel, like you guys said, he has the best arc. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this movie um eight swords out of ten. Because I think it lives up to what it was trying to do really well. Like, this movie had an idea of what it was. Like, it has a personality. It's kind of using tropes in our world. It just, it has such a personality. And it has such an identity. I suppose I'm just saying the movie did what it was trying to do. The only thing I would have changed is I would have personally liked more music. Yeah. At yeah. the end. Because, like we said in the podcast... There's a tonal shift halfway through where the music kind of stops as it's transitioning to be more like our world. Yeah. But, you know, that doesn't mean it had to stop. Giselle is still magical. Uh, things like that. I suppose the villain, it would have been cool if she did play a bit more of a bigger role in kind of being affected by our world in some ways. But, um, yeah, very enjoyable film. Would totally recommend. 8 out of 10. Nice. Not bad. Now, what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment and or feature and rating? Well, I'm glad you asked. My epic moment is a really silly classic bit they do in the movie when Edward arrives at 
Robert's apartment building and starts going door to door looking for Giselle. And he meets some interesting people along the way. He meets a man with a cat who's kind of like a crazed cat, it seems like, who's kind of swiping at him. He meets a uh, presumably a gay man in a leather outfit who's very happy to see Edward. Edward's reaction to the cat hissing at him is to hiss back. <laughs> Thank you. His reaction mm -hmm. uh, to this interaction with, uh, like I said, the ostensibly the gay man that he meets is a little uncomfortable, but not totally like he's not saying no necessarily. He's just like, OK, this is something I got to feel out here, but I am looking for somebody. So, you know. But that was funny. But my favorite one is actually the very first one. Well, again, this is such a dumb bit. This whole scene is the dumbest bit, but it just <laughs> makes me laugh. Oh, right. Yeah. He, uh, the woman, uh, um, a woman opens the door with all these kids. She looks miserable and just goes, you're too late. <laughs> like, it's so bad. It's, I, I kind of like the whole scene is so hacky. That went over my head a little bit. Did she mean like he's her prince, prince charming, charming, and he's too late because oh. she's clearly in a. I, I, it's it's such a hacky bit, and it leads to this part of my head where I'm like, but that poor woman is so unhappy and and so cynical and burned out from existence. But the joke just landed on me for some stupid reason. Yeah. Well, it was I mean, very funny. She still had the presence of mind to make the joke, too. Yeah, that's a good point. So everything's not all bad. She still got that razor wit. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like a hack even for mentioning the scene, but I did it. So it's dumb, but it's fun. Just like this movie. It's very fun, but pretty dumb. I think I'm going to give it five swords. I wanted more out of it. I've seen the movie a few times. I This is not saying that I don't like the film. I like the movie. I think it's fun. I'm pretty sure it's the first time I saw Amy Adams, um, who's an actor that I really appreciate. I like the cast a lot. I like the idea of it. It just misses its mark by not landing any of its social commentary or really sticking to any larger, more universal themes. Love is great, but it's a little simplistic that like that ends up being the kind of be all end all of the film. Yeah. I get it. That or I, mean, I see that's the thing is I'm not sure if I get it or not because I don't know if this is supposed to be a kids movie or a grown up movie or a tween movie or what. So it's uneven. The jokes are pretty good. It's a bit dated, but I definitely suggest people at least watch it and form your own opinion about it because there's a lot in it to really enjoy. It just missed its mark for me. So yeah. Like I was saying, you you got to see it at least once. It's yes. a lot of fun. And I'm sure that Chelsea will uh, edit down this rambling review that I'm giving. So five out of ten swords. That's my final offer. And I'd like to offer our thanks to all of you for tuning in and listening to Swords and Satire. If you want to interact with us and let us know what you think of Enchanted, you can hit us up at Swords and Satire on Twitter and Instagram or 
Give a like to the Swords and Satire Facebook page if you're still into that kind of thing. Yeah, that way you'll also get to see our sweet memes that Jamie releases once every few days about the movies we watch. They're great. The memes, not the movies. Sometimes it goes both ways. Sure. And if you really loved the episode or love all our episodes and habitually are interested in listening, you can get even more content by supporting us on Patreon. We put out bonus episodes for our patrons, and you can vote in polls to see what movies we'll record about in our next episodes, like this one, which was chosen by our patrons. That's That's right. right. And as always, Hail Hail Crom. Crom! Thank you.